Hey, I really want to thank uh, Ethan and a bunch of the guys in the praise band are out. So really, snaps to the youth band here. You guys did a great job. Snaps, come on. Snaps to the youth band. With, with Logan Chambers doing his debut on bass, which was wonderful. Snaps to you. Oh, oh wait, a groundswell of applause. That was no smattering of applause. That was a groundswell. That was great. Appreciate you guys doing that. Uh, How He Loves was beautiful. I thought that was just beautiful. Uh, offertory. Well, she's the last person to appear in the infant story of Jesus. And I think a lot of times she is treated as a minor epilogue, and she really should not be. Uh, Anna is a very significant figure for a number of reasons. I think we really need to appreciate this woman who was at least 84 years old um, when this occurred. Why is it so significant to appreciate her? Fast forward to you and to me today. You and I know it is such a challenge, even for you and me, those of us who are confessing Christians, those of us who, who claim to live by the kingdom of God and reside in the kingdom of God, which is in this world and in the next. You and I, though, face the challenge of the commercialism of Christmas just like everybody else. You know, we can complain about how secularized it has become until we realize we, we can fall prey to that every bit as much as anybody else. We fall prey to the materialism of it. Even the romanticizing of it. Sometimes we really reduce the Christmas experience to just some good white Christmas feelings that we might have and, and glad to be around family and all without really failing to remember really what it's about, discerning what the message of Christmas and the incarnation of Christ is all about. And what's amazing with Anna as kind of the, the bookend of this whole infancy narrative of Jesus is how she, along with Simeon, who we talked about briefly last week, they are the only two people in the entire Christmas story who really get what Jesus was about, who he was and what he was about. You, know, you think about it, the, the shepherds had a, you know, they had no discernment. They had to get the discernment by a traumatic experience where an angel comes upon them and they are sore afraid. And they finally realized this is some person who is a savior, but surely they did not know in fullness what he was about. You think about the wise men, the so-called wise men who had some signs along the way and had a star to guide them, but did they really have this clear understanding of what Jesus was about? It's interesting to me that the rabbis of the day, the priests of the day, you know, those who, with the most power, those with the greatest intellectual acumen, they didn't know and understand at all who he was. And here you have Simeon, an elderly man, and then Anna, an elderly woman. They're the ones who really get it. It's interesting, too, because Anna had everything working against her, at least in terms of people perceiving her as having this gift of discernment. Why? Well, for one, she was a woman. And I could give you many reasons why women were oppressed in that day and poorly treated and really looked upon as inferior. But not just her gender. She was from an indistinguishable heritage. She was the daughter of a man named Phanuel. We don't know anything else about him. He just strikes, strikes you as you study it as some average Joe. She was from the tribe of Asher, which was not one of the prominent tribes of Israel. Uh, that would have been the tribe of Levi because your father would have been a priest uh, or if you'd have been from the tribe of Benjamin or Judah, they were the most prominent, the most powerful of the tribes. The tribe of Asher was just kind of the tribe of Asher, and so that's where she was from. And I think some would even judge her advanced age as not being able to have much gift of discernment. But she was able to discern who Jesus was and what he was about. It's interesting. Simeon and then Anna are the two that really get it. I mean, as you read 
what they have to say and how they celebrate Jesus coming in as a baby there in the temple. And they say, this is the one who will redeem Israel. Indeed, they say, this is the one who will redeem and save all the nations who would come to him. Simeon even looks at Mary and says, and a sword will pierce your heart. Clearly, collectively, uh, between the two of them, they knew not only that he was going to be a special king, but that he was one who was going to suffer. And Mary herself was going to, to suffer herself as she watched her son suffer. It's just interesting to me that they were the only ones that really had this gift of, of discernment. Now, why did Anna have this gift of understanding, of we could call it spiritual discernment? It, it really isn't so much who she was or what her status was or lack of status. It had to do with what she did day in, day out, how she conducted herself on a consistent basis. If you go back to the story of Simeon just before Anna here in in Luke chapter 2, it says that Simeon was a righteous and devout man. And we talked about this briefly last week, that, that if you study the Greek there, what that means is here was a man who practiced daily intentional worship every day. Uh, Now, Scripture does not specify what kind of uh, spiritual disciplines he engaged in. But it's interesting. You move forward to Anna, and Luke is very specific in his gospel about the disciplines that Anna practiced. Now, I just want to break these down because I think these are what contributed to her sense of spiritual discernment. First of all, it says that she worshipped at the temple. And she worshipped at the temple consistently. In fact, it says here, daily. If you went to the temple in that day... The worship order, just like you and I have a worship order uh, in the bulletin there, it really consisted of five movements. Uh, The singing of psalms, we would say hymns or praise songs. The singing of psalms, prayers, the reading of the word, interpretation of the word, which is basically teaching or preaching from that particular passage of scripture, and then taking up an offering, some of which was given to the poor. So again, those five movements of worship. And she did that regularly if you were to transfer that to our day what it's saying is anna had the gift of spiritual discernment why because she went to church (laughs) and she did so consistently she worshiped there on a consistent basis now am i just going to be a pious preacher and say so you should come to church every sunday if not where are you that's not what i'm trying to get at but it is remarkable with her consistency because i am convinced that that really is what helped her have this sense of understanding what jesus was about who jesus was about I would hope that coming to church, especially during the Advent season, isn't just an opportunity for us to to celebrate Advent, but to all the more be sensitized to what the meaning of this most basic message of Jesus is about. She didn't just come to worship consistently. It says, secondly, that she fasted. And and it's interesting, fasting for us is kind of one of the more unique spiritual disciplines. I don't know if you remember a year or two ago, we went through a lot of the spiritual disciplines that Richard Foster talks about in his book, Celebration of Discipline. In fact, I think we've covered all of them, Tim, if I'm not mistaken. We did six, and then we did six of them later on. And it's a lot of different disciplines like solitude and meditation and uh, study and uh, celebration, and there's some other ones in there. But fasting is one of them. Now, fasting is a very unique one. It's a very countercultural one, obviously. Uh, I know that we've had people fast here before. I remember during our capital campaign, there were some uh, young mothers who never wanted publicity about it, but they, w- they fasted as a part of their uh, prayers and, and just kind of channeling spiritual power toward, uh, toward that end. But there are other people here who have done it at different times and done it in the appropriate way, a healthy way. But even in Jesus' day, fasting was very uh, countercultural is probably the best word. It was just something not everybody did. You had to really mean business 
with it. And, and again, it was a means by which she was able to enter into what we call the kingdom of God all the more because she practiced it. Now, one other practice, it says that she prayed regularly, prayed regularly. Now, it says that she prayed, well, let, let's contrast it. Back then, uh, the, the normal way to pray was to go to the temple. Uh, you had three different times that you could go and pray. Really, what that is likened to today is coming to church and saying prayers when everybody else does. You know, we, we, we usually have the community prayer and we recite the Lord's Prayer. Uh, later on, we'll have an offertory prayer. Um, and then we might do the benedictory prayer, prayer, benediction at the end. And that's it, you know. And that would be the kind of prayers you did at the temple. But what this says is she prayed, as Paul says later, she prayed without, what, fill in the blank, without ceasing. She did it daily. She did it regularly. That was, you, you get the sense from the wording there in the Greek that that really was her primary means of worship and practicing a spiritual discipline was she prayed again and again and again. And it was on her own initiative. It's not like she went to the formal time where we were instructed to pray. She did that each and every day. Now, I am sure that there were times she went to the temple uh, to pray, uh, to fast, to worship, and she didn't always get something out of it. <laughs> and I know we talked about this a lot with spiritual disciplines, but if that's your motivation for engaging in spiritual disciplines, you've got it all wrong. You're not going to have a burning bush epiphanal experience every time you engage in a spiritual discipline, whether it's studying the Word of God, whether it's prayer, whether it's meditation, whatever it might be, you're not going to always have that. Now, first and foremost, I think we do that regularly, hopefully not in a ritualistic way to where it becomes routine, but we do it regularly for what reason? Well, I go back to the Westminster uh, Catechism, which says what? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever well i think that's really what we're doing number one is glorifying god by our obedience to these practices where we are engaging in these disciplines where at some points yes we will have amazing revelations maybe maybe not a burning bush experience but we have a closer sense of guidance from god comfort from god inspiration strengthening from god whatever it might be but again that's not the primary reason we do it is to get something out of it it's really to go to God. If nothing else, we're going to God in praise and glorifying him as we do it. But nevertheless, I'm very convinced, and I think Anna is reminding of this today, that as we do that, it makes us more spiritually discerning. That's really what it's about. Part of what that does as we engage in it each and every day is it really opens the doors to what we could call the kingdom of God. And that's a whole other sermon series there. But again, it's that it's that kingdom, it's the rule of God in our hearts and beyond our hearts that transcends time and space as we know it. And therefore, it, it, it builds that consciousness that we have of being in the world and yet not of it, moving on to another place. And looking at the world through those countercultural lenses, I mean, you know, and daring to do that, which is not easy to do, it's hard to be motivated to do that. And again, it's risky to do that in the world because you'll be looked on in a certain way. You'll be rejected by certain people. But that's part of what that daily spiritual discipline does too is keep you focused on that vision of the world, looking at things through that framework. And the thing is you've got to immerse yourself into it. Now, let me preface this by saying I love SEC football. Does anybody love SEC football in here? Just SEC football. I'm not singling out a team. Okay. I love SEC football. But here's where I'm going to break with some of you. I also love Tolkien. I love Lord of the Rings, okay? Just deal with it, okay? I love SEC football, you know? 
I also love Lord of the Rings, and I wish Ethan was here today. He's not. He is a bigger Lord of the Rings geek than I am. But I saw The Hobbit the other day. I don't care what the critics say. I loved it. And uh, I've read through those many a time. Uh, uh, Nick shares the geekdom with me and because uh, I read them to him when he was young. And uh, I just love Lord of the Rings because one thing that Tolkien does, which is so fascinating with The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, Silmarillion, is, is he creates this place called, do you know what it is? It's called Mi- Middle Earth. <laughs> Middle Earth, what a geek. Yeah, Middle Earth. Um, but again, it's, it's like he opens up this whole new world, this whole new geography, this whole new, these whole new types of characters and, and, and genres of people, really. It's just fascinating. But, but Ralph Wood, who used to teach at Sanford, teaches at Baylor now, um, has written a lot of books just saying, you know, you can't enter into that reality and look at things through that framework you know just by reading a a, a chapter title here and a paragraph there and a sentence here and just the epilogue there you've got to really consistently consistently kind of give yourself over to those readings of Tolkien to enter into it well just just the same as you and I enter into these spiritual disciplines whichever one we might choose and that's what's wonderful we don't have to choose a certain one if prayer at a certain season of your life is best, great. Meditation, which is different from prayer, which we've talked about. Or solitude, or study, or celebration. Whichever one of those is, is best for you right now, enter into that regularly, consistently, just as Anna had her particular ones that she selected to enter into. That really does make us more sensitized to the kingdom of God that Christ invites us to live in. And really, even as we go out there and take the whole gospel to the whole world, as we say, we should be looking at it all through those lenses of the kingdom of God as revealed in the word of God. Now, how do you and I work toward being more consistent with that? You know, how do you and I, you know, practice a spiritual discipline? Well, I'm going to invite us to do that here in just a minute. Uh, at the beginning of the service, I engaged again in what's known as Lectio Divina. It goes back to the early church fathers. And I read a passage of scripture and you kind of sensed if the spirit was leading you you know, to, to just take in the whole, the whole reading, and then the next time you might be led to a phrase and then maybe led to a word. That, go, that goes all the way back to the third century, so that's a time-honored practice. There's another one that's time-honored since the early 1700s, and that's engaging in something that the staff, we go through quite frequently at the beginning of staff meeting, and it's John Wesley's self-examination. Uh, John Wesley founded the what denomination? Some of you better know this. The Methodist denomination, wonderful, wonderful leader of the church, one of the great leaders of all time. When he was at Oxford, he had a small group of guys who would get together and pray regularly and engage in spiritual disciplines. In fact, they became known as the Holy Club, and that was uh, used disparagingly in describing them. You know, the word Christian originally was a term of derision that unbelievers gave to Christians. It meant little Christ, a bunch of little Christs running around. Well, uh, when when uh, Wesley was at Oxford University around 1729 or so, uh, to be a believer in Christ was really at an ebb. I mean, you, you just didn't do that back then. It was a very secularized kind of culture at that point. But these guys would get together and pray regularly, and they were derisively called the Holy Club. Well, out of that, Wesley, in his methodical fashion, actually the word Methodist was used as a term of derision because the means by which people tried to grow and be more sanctified, as, as Wesley would say, to be better disciples of Jesus. They did it very methodically, and that's where you get the word Methodist. But he had these 20 questions called the self-examination, and they would go through it together as students holding each other accountable. 
Now, if you look at the end of your pews, you should find a copy of that. And I want to make sure everybody in the room has a copy of that because we're going to go through that right now. Take just a minute. Take your time. We're way ahead of schedule, by the way. So uh, we've we got time. Don't feel like you've got to rush. Just want to make sure that everybody has one of these. This goes back to 1729. Does it say 1729 on it? I think it's 1729. And he and these uh, brothers in Christ would meet regularly, sometimes daily, and hold each other accountable to these things. Now, why I compare this to Lectio Divina is one thing John Wesley said was, it's interesting as you read these, and, and I don't think anything has changed since the early 1700s. He would say, it's interesting how the Spirit will lead us, will lead me as I read these to one particular one where the Spirit is really speaking to me, something I really need to ponder, contemplate, work on, confess about. And so I want, what I want you to do is what we do frequently at staff meeting and, and what I hope eventually when we do more things with small groups next year with our community emphasis, I would encourage small groups to engage in this kind of practice. It's, 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 honor, it's been honored for centuries now. And what I want you to do is very quietly take some time and read through these 20 questions. Do not rush at all. Read through them. Meditate upon the questions. Go back over them once, perhaps, and see if the Spirit is leading you to one in particular that really kind of uh, uh, offers what I call a spiritual pinprick, you know, something that really is speaking to you, that strikes a chord with you, maybe something you need to confess to God. So just do that for a minute and read through those and see if there might be one or two that are speaking to you. So if I were to ask you, which one of these was the Spirit speaking to you? Something that's really challenging you, a part of your own spiritual life, whether inward or outward or both, that that God would really be speaking to you saying, yeah, that's an area where you need work. I, I could give you the number of the one. I mean, there was one that just really hit me, speared me. If I were to ask you, which one is the one that's spearing you right now? And in staff meetings, Tim will ask the question, you know, well, anybody want to share? And usually most of us share, man, the one I'm dealing with is, you know, am I proud? Do I insist upon something about which my conscience is uneasy? Uh, do I thank God that I'm not as other people, especially as the Pharisees who despise the public? And whatever, whichever one it might be. And we will often share and confess and then have a time of prayer. If I were to ask you <laughs> publicly, which is the one that's really speaking to you? Did the Spirit really lead you to one in particular i bet the spirit did at least one if not two and what is that saying to you and what do you need to do about it and maybe this is a time where you can take it a step further and offer some time and confession and prayer later on now there are two things i I hope that you will do number one i hope that you will take this with you this week this is a wonderful week i know this is the week where we are most tempted to be distracted by Uh, So many other things, as Nick said in his prayer, we're so tempted to be distracted by these things. But I think all the more reason for us to to be tied to something like this this week. And I would just encourage you at least a couple of times during this next week. I know you may have places to travel. Maybe it's going to have to be after the 25th. But at some point, at, at least a couple of times this week, if not every day, walk through this. You'll be amazed how just 24 hours later, the Spirit is speaking to you about another area that you might be able to work on. So I would encourage you to take this home. I would also encourage you to consider something like this, which is marvelously Bible-based. In fact, there are some uh, renditions of this that show where he's getting each of these questions in Scripture. 
But, but I'd really encourage you to consider having something like this when we begin small groups next year with our community emphasis. I think this, this is just one very wonderful, practical, usable tool among many that you and I can use at least as we enter into a time of, of really spiritual confession together and being the kind of small uh, kingdom of God in a small group or in Sunday school class that we can be. And it helps us move closer to what Simeon and Anna call us to do, which is to practice these disciplines daily. You know, are you willing to give yourself over to this framework, these lenses through which you look at the world, look at reality? That is what these disciplines do for you and for me. Anna was well aware of that, and because of that, she was able to discern who Christ was in a way that no one else could. I hope you and I will consider doing that especially for the remainder of this Advent season as we anticipate the manger, all the more being disciplined in what we're called to do. Let's pray together. And what I'd like for you to do in this uh, discipline of meditation is to uh, uh, take what God led you to a moment ago with the particular question. You might even want to look at it again on your sheet. But what is the one that really struck a chord with you? And I want you to take just a moment in silent meditation just between you and God and confess your need to work on whatever that question was. Just take a moment and confess that to God, if you would, and ask for his help and strength that you might work all the more in that area. Lord, forgive us when so many other distractions, obstacles, tasks, commitments, forgive us when all of those get us in the way of taking time out to glorify you to glorify you for the fullness of meaning of what it meant that your son condescended to come down to be with us on this earth. We thank you, O oh God, that we can strive to, to help one another, hold one another accountable, do all that we can to be all the more sanctified, all the more uh, better walkers with you, better worshipers of you. And especially a, a people who look through things a bit differently, Look through different lenses, bringing your kingdom to other people, bringing your message of salvation to those around us. Like Anna, O oh God, help us to be all the more consistent with how we conduct ourselves daily, taking time out intentionally to interrupt all the other stressors of our lives, to take time to be with you each and every day. May we commit to that this day. We pray these things in your name. Amen.